Herod, Judas the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people to revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. It's great to be back with you. Um, my name's Nathan, if you don't know me. Uh, the, the regulars here will have seen me before, um, but, but if you don't know me, I'm Nathan, and I'm going to talk about that passage, what it means, um, and it's super relevant uh, to us, uh, to you here this week, uh, and so I'm excited to speak with you about this passage. Uh, before we before we do that, I'm just going to pray for us um, as we as we seek to understand God's word. Father, I thank you so much that we can be here uh, this afternoon to think about what you have said and what you have done in the past, how you have worked through the ages, how your church has been about your mission. And I pray as we read this passage, as we understand it, you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive who you are and what you've done and who we must be because of that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was young, uh, my mum made us watch this TV program. It was called like... Seven Wonders of the Industrial World or something, and they went through all these different things that were like uh, things that people built during the Industrial Revolution, like bridges and buildings and uh, works of engineering that were really incredible. And I don't remember any of them, how they built, what they did, except for one. There was one that really um, impressed me. It was called uh, The Lighthouse at Bell Rock. And I don't think any of you would have heard of that, but it is the oldest sea-washed lighthouse in the world. Now, what on earth does that mean? Why is that impressive? A, a, a sea-washed lighthouse is one that is built, like, in the water. So, we see one up here. That's a good picture of a lighthouse. That's what we all, what we all imagine. A lighthouse sitting on a little, little outcrop, beaming light, a sea-washed one is built like on a reef. It's it's built in the water, in the middle of nowhere. This one, uh, this particular light, lighthouse is is built uh, north of on the north coast of Scotland, and it's like miles out to sea on this reef that that um, that boats kept crashing into. And there was heaps of challenges. The chief most of which is that the little reef that they built it on 
It's only above water for four hours a day. For 20 hours a day, this thing is below water. And so they um, had to figure out how they were going to engineer this, this lighthouse onto this little uh, this rock in the middle of the ocean. And by the time they finished, when it was done, they had a lighthouse that was, that was warding ships off, and it has stood for, for over 200 years. I think they, they completed it or built it in 1810. Now, that's all fun um, sort of facts about it, but, but the reason I remember that particular lighthouse is not because it had some cool facts or some cool engineering or whatever it is. The reason I remember that lighthouse is because I have this image in my head of a lighthouse in the middle of the ocean with a storm approaching and just huge wave after huge wave smashing into this building. The spray going up taller than the lighthouse over and over, hitting and hitting and hitting for 200 years and the lighthouse stood, still there today, protecting ships from the reef. As we look at this passage in Acts, Acts chapter 5, I think what we see is, is the church being like this lighthouse. The church being like that lighthouse. In the book so far, if you've been, if you've been coming and if, as you've been reading it, you will have noticed that the this young church, the followers of Jesus, they've had a few problems. They've had a few issues. In chapter 4, you see this persecution coming, and that's freaky. The, the people from outside the church start attacking the church, and that, that's scary. That's a big thing. But, but the church is bold. They, they continue to pray, proclaim the gospel, and that's amazing. And then later you see not a problem of someone from without the church doing something to the church. It's a problem within the people of God. There's Ananias and, and Sapphira, and, and they're, they're put to death. They're killed because of sin. And that's terrifying as well. Problems within, problems without, um, problems everywhere. It would have been an unsettling time for any believer. What is going on with this new group of, of this new church that problems are just everywhere for them? Persecution without, conflict within, pressure on every side, and our passage just feels like another problem, another wave to hit the church, another thing they have to deal with. Breakers smashing against the church. How is it going to keep standing? How is the church going to keep going? And as you go through Acts, you'll see again and again, issues cropping up, things which seem to threaten the church and its life. And it doesn't stop at the end of Acts. All through history we see these waves that hit the church. And maybe some of us feel like that a bit this morning. Or not this morning, sorry, this afternoon. That waves keep hitting. We thought we had kind of gotten past COVID and we were over that. But now another fresh wave has just come and hit. How is the church going to survive? How are we as believers going to survive when we feel just battered by every wave, by every storm that's coming? How will we stand? So as we look at this passage, I'd like us to have an image 
of this lighthouse standing in the ocean, standing against the waves. Because um, I think as we think about a lighthouse, it's a great image for us to understand this passage. We see this lighthouse standing alone in the sea. We see waves hitting the lighthouse, the challenges uh, that the church is facing. And we see the rock that the lighthouse holds to so that it doesn't fall. Firstly, the lighthouse. Let's think about that for a moment. Picking up in verse 12, uh, the disciples are in the temple teaching. Um, You'd forgive the apostles for taking a day off at some point, but it doesn't seem like they ever do. They just keep going and going and going. They've just had this massive church conflict, and uh, they're back teaching in the temple almost straight away. The first big pastoral issue, uh, they've put that behind them, and they're they're plowing on forward. They're back in the temple. And notably, they're doing signs and wonders. They're doing all these kinds of miracles. And it's kind of a contrast in what we've seen before, or just before we've had these two people die in sort of miraculous circumstances. Now we've got this contrast of the the apostles bringing life, healing, driving out unclean spirits, that kind of thing. Now, the question we often come up with, or we often ask is, you know, how come they could do so many miracles. Wouldn't it have been handy to have an apostle round these last couple of years who could have just, you know, healed the COVID cases before they came across the border or whatever it is? Why um, are we getting something wrong that, that we don't see these kind of crazy miracles happening? And I don't think so. Uh, here's my take, and... You know, maybe William will stand up next week and say Nathan is wrong, don't listen to him. But this is my take on what's happening. I think the reason we see God doing a lot of miracles here with the apostles is to kind of validate them as his messengers. You see it in the Bible kind of all the way through when Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, I'm speaking for God and you need to let these people go. It's accompanied by all these incredible miracles that kind of validate Moses' message. I think we see the same thing here, that that you can't sort of, uh, these people say, we are speaking from God, and there's this validity to it because they're doing all these crazy things that no one else can do. And we see the result of the miracles that many believers were added. And so I think what Luke is trying to show us is that through these miracles, through what they're doing, it's not just, you know, great, people are healed, that's awesome. Actually, the gospel, the message of Jesus is going forward. And that's the point. And Luke is trying to show us that even though the church is facing its first kind of internal problems that um, that it's kind of had, the gospel is still going forward. Even though it's not a perfect community, even though there are, there is sin happening within the church, the gospel continues to be proclaimed and people continue to be saved. The problems within the church don't stop the gospel. Now, much like the first miracle Peter did, these signs <laughs> lead to an arrest. 
the powers that be say, we don't want men doing all these amazing things. Uh, we need to put them in prison. And there's a, there's a bit of irony here, and I think it's kind of funny, um, so I'm going to share it with you. Uh, the funny side of the situation is that we're told it's the Sadducees who were in charge of the imprisonment. The Sadducees were a group of Jews who, who were a bit skeptical about the supernatural. They didn't really believe in like resurrection or anything like that. They were they were keen on miracles, and so it's ironic that they're the ones who come and say none of that. You can't be healing people and casting out demons. That we're going to put you away for for doing these crazy things we don't believe in. It's it's ironic. And there's a lot of details and you know from verse 17 going on that we kind of like to know. Um, how do they get away out of prison without anyone noticing? How does that all happen? What is going on here? We're not told that all these, you know, this escape. We'd love to know how exactly it happened. But we're not told. We're only told one thing, and that is the message from the angels for the apostles. Go back to the temple and keep proclaiming. Go back to the place you were yesterday where you got arrested and keep doing that same thing. Keep preaching the message of the gospel. Don't stop because of persecution. Don't stop because of internal conflict. Don't stop because waves are battering you. Keep preaching. Keep telling the words of life. At this point, um, maybe I sound like a broken record, or maybe the book of Acts sounds like a bit of a broken record, because it keeps saying one thing, that the gospel must keep going. The gospel must keep being proclaimed, that the mission of God, that the whole world needs to hear the message of Jesus, has to keep happening. The great mission of the church to speak the words of life. And this is how I think we should pick, maybe picture ourselves lighthouse. This lighthouse that is beaming lights, work, uh, warning ships and passers by of danger, speaking the words of life. And if a lighthouse, you know, in the ocean somewhere, on a reef somewhere, isn't shining a light, isn't warning of the danger, then it's no good to anyone. In fact, it's, it's sort of more dangerous. It's just a tower on a rock. The lighthouse, to be a lighthouse, needs a light. It needs to shine and warm and bring life. And the church is the same. We need to be proclaiming the mission of God to have his gospel preached everywhere isn't finished. And so we need to keep going. It's worth asking, when is the light of the gospel shining from my life? This week coming up, how am I going to be a beacon for the words of life? Where is Jesus going to resound from my life? Are we just a magnificent feat of engineering, but never actually completing the mission for which we've been built? 
standing majestically. Here we are, this organisation, the church, looking great, (coughs) but failing to complete our mission. We can't be that. The church needs to have a light. We need to be sharing the words of life. And so that's the lighthouse. And we see it there in the ocean, the lighthouse shining its light so that all may know and live. But we move on, we'll keep thinking about the story following their night in, in prison. Uh, the, the, the apostles go back to the temple and they're preaching some more, um, and they're, they're kind of brought back in to see the high priest, but this time it's a bit different because everybody's asked a bit more nicely. They're not arrested, they're just sort of politely saying, could you please, could you please come back? And they're brought before this council and they're questioned by the high priest and he's saying, we told you to stop talking about Jesus. We told you not to preach. We don't want you doing this in our city. And here we see this this attitude of the apostles as, as these waves are breaking against them, as these storm clouds gather, as so many things seem to be a problem. They say, and they respond to these powerful people um, accusing them, these powerful people trying to stop them. They say, we must obey God rather than man. There's a lot to admire about this attitude, isn't there? It's brave, it's faithful, it's steadfast, it's brazen even. It's so courageous. I think you and I, at least in our better moments, would like to be like this. Being the people who say, I must obey God rather than man. I don't care who's telling me what to do. I will obey God. I often wish that I was braver and more courageous and could stand up more often for what I believe in and and, and just obey God rather than man. And sometimes when you read a passage like this, you'll say, you feel discouraged. You'll, you'll say, oh, I'm never going to be. I'm never going to be like that. Sure, it's encouraging to see see these people and see God working through these kind of these people just so brave. But I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. Why aren't I as brave as those people? Why aren't I as bold as the apostles? Why can't I stand up for what I believe all the time? Maybe you come up with excuses why you're not. I'm, I'm not an apostle, so obviously I'm not going to be as good. I haven't spent three years with Jesus and we have the best Bible college in the world. It's different. But we need to be those who speak. We need to be those who are brave, who are bold. And so we should ask, why am I not as confident? And I think when we ask that question, we see something interesting about these apostles, because what we see about them first when we're reading this passage is not that they are bold and brazen and courageous and standing up and challenging and full of bluster. They are these things, but there's a deeper attitude. What is the reason they must obey? Why are the apostles able to boldly proclaim the gospel, uh, even though they're being directly opposed by these powerful men? It's because they realize who they were. 
It's because they know their place in the world. They know why God had put them where they were. Who are they? They're the witnesses of their leader and saviour. They're the men who have seen Jesus, who have heard Jesus, who know the risen Lord. They're the men who have in their minds and in their hearts and in their mouths the words that bring life. They know they're the ones who have the message by which all may be forgiven. They're the lighthouse. And they know if they turn the lights off, there will be no light. There will be no salvation. If they don't warn of the rocks, then the world will be shipwrecked. They are the witnesses of the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They are the ones who must speak so that people might be forgiven. And so they must keep on speaking. There's no other choice because that's who they are. That's their mission. That is why they've been put on this earth. And so even though these waves are smashing against them and they're being battered again and again, they don't stop because they know if they stop, then the message won't go on. And I think it's the same for us. If we have found this forgiveness, if I know the saving work of Jesus Christ, then I am in a similar way a witness to him of what he has done. Witnesses to the world of the forgiveness that's available, of, of the life that's available. And if that's us, then we must go on shining. Storms may hit, waves may come, problems will arise, but we must go on speaking the words of life. From time to time, you, you find something that's truly great, something that, that changes your world, that you have to tell everybody about. Last month I was on holiday and I went to Wanaka and I found something truly great. It was a, it's like a little, like a, a, like a fast food place that was out of the back of a trailer and they did deep fried chicken and I had this burger that was like sweet and spicy deep fried chicken and it changed my life a little bit. And so I came back from Wanaka and said, you people actually need to go there and, and try this. Don't, don't look at that tree that's in the, in the lake, that's not, go and have the, the deep fried chicken, it's amazing. But in Christ, I've found something much better deep fried chicken. I've found hope, I've found forgiveness, I've found joy, I've found peace, I've found righteousness, I've found all these things. I've found true love, I've found true acceptance. I have found eternal life. And so, how can I not share it with the world? How can I not go on speaking? Finally, in the last part of this passage, we see the members of this Jewish council getting together and having like a chat. What are we going to do about these apostles who won't stop for anyone preaching this message about Jesus? What are we going to do with them? And, and one of these guys gets up. He seems to be older. He seems to be respected. Um, and he reminds them that Jesus Christ was not the first man to stand up at that time and claim to be 
someone special. He quotes a number of examples of other men who claim that they were someone special, that maybe they were even the Messiah, these guys who kind of upstarts who got a bit of a following, who made some you know, waves, rocked the boat a bit, but then they died and their following dissipated, they disappeared, and, and we don't know anything about them other than they're mentioned here. And that brings us back to our question because this group didn't fail. All these other men that rose up and had their disciples and then were kind of swept away, but the church didn't. The church didn't fall. Why didn't the church fail like these other upstarts? How has this church, this group of disciples, withstood everything that's been thrown at them? But we're kind of told indirectly if it wasn't man, it would have failed. But because it is of God, no one can overthrow it. The answer is so simple yet so profound. God is for his church. It is by God's power that his church is sustained and keeps going. God, those who oppose God's church oppose God himself. Paul is going to discover that in, in a few chapters' time when, when he tries to persecute the church. He's going to be confronted by God and he's going to say, why are you persecuting me? God is so kind of identified with his church that, that if someone is attacking the church, God kind of takes that personally, so to speak. And so ultimately the church will never fail, will never be overthrown, it will never be, um, it will never crumble, not because we'll be so amazing, not because, you know, the leaders will be so strong and brave and bold and the followers will be so, so incredible, not any of that. The reason the church continues and the mission goes on is because it has been driven by God. Ultimately, the lighthouse of the church stands because it is, it is built upon a rock. God is founding and, and, and making it possible. The church is God's work and he stands to defend it. As we, as we gather here this afternoon, particularly given the situation. Some people online watching, uh, a few of us here, it can kind of feel a bit mundane, a bit ordinary, a bit difficult, a bit hard. But don't be fooled. This community here, this fellowship here, if it is being built by God, no one will be able to bring it down. No conflict within will be able to crush it. No persecution from uh, without will be able to tear it down if God is for it. If God is at work in his church, then, then even the hardest and most difficult and the, the most ferocious problems are nothing because God is bigger. I think what we see here is interesting for another reason. I think the church often confuses uh, uh, 
it confuses the world. Uh, we have a, a perfect example here with the Pharisees and this council and what's going on. The world thinks that if it kind of inflicts enough damage, enough pain, enough hardship, then eventually Christians will give up. That's kind of, a lot of people have taken that attitude if you kind of want to look at church history. Uh, the early centuries of the church's life, it's what the authorities thought. We, could, we can snuff this out if we try hard enough. They thought Jesus was just another person, another man, and if they push hard enough, people will disappear. But what they found was the exact opposite. Far from growing weak, the church grew stronger and stronger with every hit, with every wave. When Jesus died and, and rose and went to heaven and ascended, the church grew stronger because, because its followers went out and proclaimed this gospel message. Christ's death, the, the worst thing that could happen for any other religion, any other leader, that, that the leader dies, the worst thing that could happen for the church, for us, for believers, is the best thing that could happen. Christ's death is the power for salvation. It's the thing that keeps fueling the church year after year, century after century, instead of taking them away. It means Christ is with us always brings us closer to him. Instead of meaning we're alone and we're by ourselves, Christ's death and his resurrection and ascension means we are never alone. Instead of being defeat, it's a victory. Instead of causing despair, it brings hope. Instead of being sadness, it is joy. Instead of being the end, it was the very beginning. That's why the church won't fail because it's founded on Christ. It draws its strength and power by holding tightly to this leader who died and rose again, who faced the worst of things for us. He is our rock. And we are the church he has died for. Our salvation is sealed in his death. We're a precious treasure in his sight, and that's what we're built upon. That's what keeps us going. The lighthouse at, at Bell Rock, talk, been talking about it, and it stood for over 200 years, smashed by waves, that kind of thing. One of the reasons it is so strong and so sturdy and has stood against everything the ocean has to throw against it is because when they were building the foundation, they carved each rock particularly to fit into the reef so that, that the, the bricks that they were laying to build the lighthouse were individually fitted into the rock that they might cling to the rock. And that's the reason why the lighthouse has been able to withstand hundreds of years of ocean fury. And that's how we must be. Christ is our rock, and we need to form ourselves so that we cling more tightly to him. So when things get tough, when it's hard, when the waves break, when there are difficulties within and without, we cling more tightly to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason the church will never fail. That's the reason the church has persisted on this mission to tell everybody it's because the church has always clung 
to Christ. And the reason the church will never fail is because Christ is clinging to us. He is holding us fast. He won't let us go. And so there we have it. The church is this lighthouse. We are here because there is a mission to be done. We must shine the light, and that will bring opposition. There will be trials and tribulations and problems, and it will be difficult at times. Waves will hit us, but we'll survive. Not because we're amazing all the time, but because we have an amazing rock, a great foundation that is Christ himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are built upon the rock. We thank you that even as we meet here this afternoon, some of us at home, some of us here, all kinds of things going on, that we do so in confidence because we know you are working. We know you are in our midst, that you are building this church. We thank you for that encouragement and I pray that as we go from here and in the weeks and months and follow, uh, years that follow that we would seek to cling closely, cling tightly to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.